There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, welcome, and thanks for tuning into this Cleveland Clinic discussion on the 2019 novel coronavirus, COVID-19. My name is Deanna Pogorels, and I'll be your host today. We know that these are uncertain times and that you all have a lot of questions about how this situation is evolving. And so with us today, we have Dr. Frank Esper, and he's here to hopefully answer some of those questions for everyone. Dr. Esper is a pediatric infectious disease specialist here at Cleveland Clinic Children's, and thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's very good to be here. And to our viewers, please remember this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So Dr. Esper, we know that this situation is changing fast and we're learning new things every day about this um, new coronavirus disease. So can you start by talking a little bit about what we know about what the virus does to our bodies? You know, we're still learning so much about what this coronavirus does. Um, and, and there is a lot of new information, not just news information that, we, that we're receiving, but there are numerous scientific reports and, and medical papers that are being published every day. Uh, and that we are reviewing and we are finding out more about uh, what this virus uh, causes and what this virus can do. You know, right now though, that we're on, our understanding is that this virus comes from a family of viruses and the family of viruses are coronaviruses and they are for the most part cold viruses. Unfortunately though, this is a new virus, just like the SARS virus, just like the MERS virus, it is just introduced into the humans and we have little to no immunity. And because of that, we're getting a lot sicker from these new coronaviruses than we have been with all the other normal coronaviruses that we usually causes a cold. But for the most part, it's all respiratory. It's, for the most part, it is all uh, a problem of runny nose, cough, breathing problems. Uh, unfortunately, this virus has a much higher incidence of causing pneumonia. And that's where people are really getting into problems. That's where the older individuals are really finding a lot of problems. You get pneumonia, there's a strain on your heart. When you have pneumonia, obviously you're having also a hard time breathing. But in addition to that, then there's also this hyperinflammation. Your body's immune system reacts so vigorously when this virus gets down into the lungs that the inflammation is also a big part of the severity, the severity of this infection. So how is that different from something like the flu? You know, influenza, you know, actually causes some of the very similar problems that we, we, that we are experiencing with this coronavirus. But the flu is something we know. We, we know, we've, we, one of the things about the coronavirus is that we're still learning so much about it, but we've been, we've been studying influenza for decades. Uh, and we know what to expect. Even with a pandemic, uh, I don't think there was nearly as much uncertainty as we are dealing with this uh, pandemic with the coronavirus. The influenza also can cause a bunch of upper, you know, nose stuff. So your runny nose and, um, you know, the sniffles, but it also likes to go into the lungs. It also really causes a lot of severe uh, pneumonia. What we are seeing though with, with uh, or what we see with influenza that we don't see with coronavirus is that usually influenza opens the door to a second infection, usually a bacterial infection. And it's one of those things that uh, a lot of people get their pneumonia shots to prevent. Uh, the coronavirus is causing all the problems by itself. It doesn't need help uh, to cause all those severe uh, infections and problems. 
whereas influenza is usually uh, a bad virus, but also can partner with other germs. Could you possibly have both at the same time? You know, we're still learning a lot about that. Uh, the, uh, the first studies, we weren't seeing a lot of co-infections. That's where you actually can find two viruses at the same time, like influenza and uh, uh, coronavirus. But we're seeing more and more studies that are just rolling out right now that maybe we can see more um, infections. The, it, it's still not clear, but we are changing our testing strategies based on all the, the information that's still coming in on a daily basis to whether or not just because you have flu could you also have this new coronavirus, and we're, we're, we're talking about that right now. And the only way to know for sure that someone has um, the COVID-19 is to do the testing and get a formal positive on the test? Yeah, the, the, the only way that we can tell if anybody has uh, the coronavirus is to actually swab their nose or swab their throat or sometimes both where we'll actually test looking for the genetic fingerprints of this particular virus. The, uh, the symptoms uh, of coronavirus are the same symptoms as a lot of other viruses including influenza. And so you just can't say just because you have a fever, just because you have a sore throat, just because you have muscle aches or, or you know a cough, that could be any virus. Uh, and so in order to uh, figure out if you have the coronavirus, we have to do the coronavirus test. That being said, anybody who has those symptoms, especially in today, today, you know, and, and these, these upcoming weeks, should be concerned about the possibility of coronavirus in addition to all the other viruses that are out there. And then how does the virus usually run its course in, in our bodies? You know, it, it's, it's um, again, one of the things that we're learning is, you know, how long does this virus last? What we're seeing, uh, and again, I will, I will say that new information may completely tell me I'm wrong by tomorrow, but what we have seen to this point is that for the first five days after you get infected, you for the most part don't have a lot of symptoms. Usually your symptoms happen about five days or so after, uh, and that we call the incubation period. So the virus has infected you and it's kind of revving up, and then you start getting symptoms around day of uh, five, and then you can be symptomatic for about another, I don't know, uh, five to, to seven days up to that point, and then everything starts getting better. Or at around day five or, or about day seven, day eight, things can get a lot worse. And so when we're seeing people who go to really, really bad disease, people who get hospitalized are usually people who have been, you know, feeling, eh, I got this virus for about a week, and then they start having troubles breathing. So it's really that second week of illness that we're really seeing um, and paying attention to people who, who we know have this virus to make sure that they're doing okay on day seven, day eight, day nine. And just for clarification, can you explain the difference between coronavirus and COVID-19? <laughs> it's all about naming. Um, you know, coronavirus is the virus itself. And, and there were, remember, we, we changed this, this thing's name three times, right? The first was the novel coronavirus, and then it became COVID-19, and then it became the SARS-2 coronavirus, which causes COVID-19 disease. And so COVID-19 is the disease, the symptoms, that are caused by the virus SARS-2 coronavirus. Uh, and if you're confused at home, yeah, it's, 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 it's so be it. I, I wish I could make this a lot easier for you guys. Um, but it's the SARS-2 coronavirus. It's very closely related to the SARS virus that we had back in 2003, 2000, uh, 2002, 2003. Uh, and uh, honestly, also came from the same region. They both originated in China, probably both originated from uh, similar bat coronaviruses that jumped from bats to humans. Uh, and that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. 
Okay, what about how it's spread? What do we know about that? Well, again, Spread, for the most part, we think that this is a respiratory, we know that this is a respiratory virus, so a lot of the spread, the majority of the spread is by, um, uh, through the air. And so when people cough, when people sneeze, when, when people, um, uh, you, you know, have that big cough, um, they, you can see the little phlegm, you can see the little droplets that are in the air, and they can hover in that air and then fall to the ground. But if you, another person is within six feet of you, those droplets can make their way or be inhaled by another person or they can get onto their face or get onto their hands and then it gets into their mouths and into their system. And so most of this is called aerosolized droplet transmission, okay, six feet. That's very different and because people were thinking, oh my God, because these droplets go through the air, this must be airborne. Um, airborne transmission is a completely different beast. Airborne transmission is like uh, when something gets uh, aerosolized into a very microparticle, which then can float into the air and stay there for hours, even after the person has left the room and uh, the infected person has left the room. And that's something like measles. That's something like tuberculosis. That is not something like this new SARS coronavirus. The second part, though, and we're still figuring this out, is whether or not um, contact is also a, a, a way of transmission. We don't believe that it, it may be a way, but we don't think it is the major way that this virus goes from person to person, place to place. Um, we're also identifying um, uh, some of the virus in the stool, especially in, in younger kids. They may have a little more diarrhea. Uh, and it has also been um, uh, uh, cultured from the, the stool of infected patients, people who have diarrhea, but not a lot. And we're not sure that that is a, a, so much that it actually leads to further, tra uh, further transmission, but we're still looking at that part. So you mentioned that there's a little bit of an incubation period. I think you said five days. Mm -hmm. So could somebody be infected and not know it and then potentially pass it on that way? Well, we definitely, you definitely can be infected and not know it. All right, we're seeing more and more people, especially children, especially young adults, who are actually getting, uh, uh, who are getting infected and don't even know that they uh, were infected and uh, clear the infection all by themselves and never knew that they were sick at all. Um, it, it's still a small percentage. All right? It's definitely somewhere around less than 10. Early studies thought it was only 1%, and it's getting a little bit higher. We're seeing probably more and more in uh, children. But it is uh, a small percentage of people will not develop any symptoms at all. In that incubation period, you don't have any symptoms, and the virus is just kind of brewing. We do not know that you are infectious during that incubation period. You may not just have enough virus to cause an infection in, enough, in another person. You have to reach a certain threshold. What that threshold is is called the, uh, uh, the, the, the infectious dose. Uh, and we haven't figured out exactly what the infectious dose is, but most of the people who have been transmitting the infection to people in their families or people at work uh, have been symptomatic. And so we believe that you are most contagious when you're actually having the symptoms. And we feel like before you have the symptoms, you're probably not contagious at all or just very, very mildly contagious. Okay. And are we all equally susceptible to getting this virus? Uh, we are all equally susceptible. This, 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 this germ does not care who you are. Everybody can get sick and can get infected. However, the younger you are, the less likely we see the infection. We don't see a lot of infection in uh, individuals under the age of 20 uh, and in children, great. We also, those individuals also don't seem to get nearly as sick as older individuals and that's great too. However, it doesn't mean you're off the hook. It's still, if you have a kid, 
you can, if you're a kid or you have a child, they can still get infected with this infection. We're also seeing that the younger, uh, 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 younger adults, the 20, 30s, 40 year olds, have been shown here in the United States to have more severe, in, or, or severe infections. And so you can still get really sick, even if you're relatively young and in good health, you can still end up in the hospital and very uh, rarely actually in the intensive care unit. Thankfully, death is extremely rare in the younger age groups. We're seeing the most severe infections, the most severe disease, and the most deaths in people over the age of 65. Okay. Um, and then, but there was some new research that came out about babies potentially being more um, susceptible than we had previously thought. Do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, that was a, uh, a study that came out from China about 2,000 children. Um, and remember, China had 86 plus thousand um, cases. And they found 2,000 kids that were uh, infected. And in those children, so this was a very small subset, they looked at all those children and said, you know, how many of them were sick? and which ones of them are sick based on by their age group. And what we found though, is that 90% of all children had mild or moderate or no disease at all. Uh, 90% had, didn't even require hospitalization, all right? They, they, they didn't have any symptoms or they had such mild symptoms that they basically went home and you know, uh, got better on their own. In the 10% that were hospitalized, in the 10% that, they, that did go on to severe disease or even critical disease, uh, there was a higher proportion of small infants that were um, likely to have severe, um, hot, you know, require, needing oxygen or critical where they needed some uh, breathing help. Uh, however, the numbers were really small. I mean, there was only like seven children uh, or seven infants that actually were, were, went critical out of 2,000 children out of 86,000 cases. I mean, you can imagine we're talking about very, very small. Uh, we are much more cautious about babies, all right? Anytime any baby has this virus or any other virus, they're more likely to get hospitalized based on their age and based on any of their symptoms just because we pediatricians are a skittish lot. And when it comes to babies, we are very uh, cautious and we have a tendency to bring them into the hospital and watch them very closely. Sure. Okay, so let's talk about how we can prevent um, these, the transmission of this virus. Yeah. Um, what are some of the key points that you would say uh, precautions people should be taking? So we've been saying from the get-go um, that uh, you should be washing your hands. And washing your hands is one of the best ways to prevent this virus and every other virus, um, and as well as every other germ, uh, from causing an infection. Uh, a lot of viruses do jump onto your hands. Uh, and once they get onto your hands, we have a tendency to scratch our nose, or we put on our contacts, or we move our glasses, or we eat. This is the way they go from hands to mouth. And so washing your hands with something like soap and water, any soap and water, it doesn't have to be antibacterial soap, this is a virus anyways, uh, it doesn't have to be an antibiotic soap or anything like that, any soap is just fine. And if you don't have soap, then we say go ahead and use those hand sanitizers which are around uh, all over the place, although it's a bit hard to find these days in the stores, but any hand sanitizer that has 70% or so more of alcohol uh, is also very, very good. Um, but I also talked to you about it saying that this is more from coughing, right? This was more from all those droplets. And so by covering your cough, if you do happen to be coughing, uh, into your sleeve, um, then you're less likely to spray those droplets onto other people or into a particular area that someone can breathe in. And therefore, it is best for you to always cover your cough if you are coughing, but also staying home if you're sick. So if you are 
you know, one of the reasons that we talk about social isolation, but definitely we talk about if you're sick, you want to stay home and away from people until you get better. And the vast majority of people, 80 plus percent, get better on their own. Your immune system is better than any medication antiviral that I have. Uh, and a lot of times your immune system is more than enough to take care of it. But it is something that is important that we don't spread this virus and that by spreading this virus through your coughing, uh, by staying at home and by washing your hands, there's three of the biggest things that you could do to prevent the uh, infection, uh, both in yourself as well as uh, in your family and in your community. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit more about social distancing? I know that's something that's top of mind for people right now. Do we know that this is a technique that actually does work to help prevent the spread of disease? You know, we actually do. Um, all our, all our uh, uh, information on social distancing comes from the plagues of the past. And the, the, the big one was the pandemic flu, the, the Spanish flu in, in 1918. Um, and where we actually see that if people stay apart from one another, they can't spread the influenza. Um, and honestly, we've, you know, this isn't, this isn't some novel thing that we just came up. People, you know, in the, in the thousands of years of evolution, <laughs> we've been social distancing ourselves more, you know, when, when someone is sick, everybody, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's something that's kind of innate to, to us. Um, but the thing is, is that society now is bringing us all together. And that's one of the reasons why it's very tough to uh, socially distance yourself. Also, as our society has grown over these last, you know, 100 years, and especially after the last, you know, 25, 30 years, we've become much more interconnected. In fact, we are actually, you know, uh, uh, you know, from an early age, we are trying to show connectivity, you know, connection, socialization. We are social creatures. And um, so social distancing is actually very, very uh, difficult for us. Um, but it does work. Uh, it does help prevent the spread of this uh, infection. It's one of the best things that we can do right now. In addition to taking care of yourself, isolating yourself if you're sick, washing your hands, but staying apart from one another is one of the ways that we prevent this virus from doing what it wants. What it wants to do is it infects you, it makes a million copies of itself, and then it tries to get out from you to some other person and ping pong from person to person to go place to place. If we separate ourselves, then anybody who is infected uh, cannot infect someone else, and it basically stops right there. Um, I know some people are probably wondering how far we have to take this. Um, you know, can we still go to the grocery store? Can we still invite someone over for dinner? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, that really depends on what's going on in the community. And it, that's one of those things that just changes um, day after day. Um, you know, here in Ohio, we are not at the point where you say, you know, you can't go to the, you know, you can't invite a person over. But every person that you do invite over is a risk. And so you have to understand that and you have to make a decision for yourself and for your family as to what is the risk. Uh, over these next uh, several weeks. Um, whereas in California, where they're trying to say hunker down in place, they want nobody to go from, person, from place to place, even, even you know, just to stay home. That being said, you still need to go to the grocery store. You do still need to go to the gas station. Um, and healthcare workers still need to come to work. And there's essential, you know, firemen, policemen, there's essential uh, 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 people that have to work. Um, and in, those, in that context, we are trying to provide them the best, uh, uh, safest environment with, um, uh, again, focusing on um, washing your hands, making sure we screen people to say, are you sick? If so, go home, things like that. 
So what are hospitals and healthcare facilities doing to prepare to kind of deal with this illness and then also preventing the spread? You know, hospitals have been fighting off infection for quite some time, and we're, we're actually pretty good at it. Um, but infections are also very good at spreading. Um, it is a battle that we have been waging against numerous different germs, numerous different viruses both, uh, or bacteria. This virus is a, uh, is a new one, and so we're still learning about it. Right now, the best thing that we can do in, in the hospital, uh, and we, we've taken this in multiple different layers, the first thing we do is we make sure that everybody's on board. And from the get-go, especially here at the Cleveland Clinic, um, from the top down, uh, everybody's been on the same page. Uh, that, that they have opened up every door, they have been answering every call, they have opened their wallets saying, what you need, you get. Uh, and it has been very, very impressive to this point. Um, the other thing that we've been doing, though, is we've been setting together different um, stages, different tiers of um, protections for our healthcare workers and for our patients. And as we've seen more and more spread in the community, we have been going to different and higher and higher tiers of protection for our caregivers. Most recently, we've been talking about restricting visitors to the hospital, and it came in a staged, uh, um, a staged way, but we are at a point where we want to restrict people from coming in because every time someone comes in, that's a potential risk, and we want to minimize the risk to our patients. Uh, we are um, making sure that we are screening all our employees, uh, asking them every day. We're now even taking their temperatures every time they come to work to make sure that they are not sick, uh, that we are uh, giving everybody the uh, equipment that they need in order to prevent illness in them. And we are testing them. If they have symptoms, we are testing employees to make sure that they are not infected with this virus and then spreading it to patients or other employees. And so we've been very aggressive about that. So you mentioned testing, and I know initially, um, in terms of just public testing, there was some concern about supply, and I'm curious if that's still an issue just in terms of testing people who are symptomatic and yeah. inappropriate for testing. Uh, it's still an issue. Okay. Um, it's not, uh, that's no secret. Uh, testing across the United States has been um, very uh, uh, difficult to get online and to, to get moving. Cleveland Clinic, because, exactly, because the, from the top down, um, uh, that uh, leadership that we've had uh, was one of the first institutions to be able to offer testing on site. And we have certainly surpassed a lot of other institutions and a lot of um, even state laboratories uh, across the nation. And we've been working very closely with all the other hospital systems to make sure that, because we all know we're all, we're all in the ship together, guys. We are, we are, we are all working against uh, this virus and making sure that we get their testing centers up. The drive-through testing center is uh, only about a week old right now, had a, had a few speed bumps, but we are actually uh, getting through that, um, working through that. The testing, we are still at, you know, at least 500 um, samples are able to be screened a day, and we're working diligently to increase that capacity, and we want to get to more to 1,000, maybe even higher, uh, to whatever, uh, you know, our institution needs. So if someone develops a cough or fever or some of these flu symptoms, um, what's the first or what are the next steps that they should be doing? Well, if someone develops a symptom, um, the first thing they should do is, uh, you know, not go to work if they're an adult and they do work, not go to school. Well, you don't have to worry about that. The schools are closed. Um, but basically to uh, basically keep to yourself um, and make sure that you don't expose anybody else within your household or within your community. If you're having these types of symptoms, it is always, and you feel like you need to get and talk to your doctor, 
then you should call them first. All right, talking to a physician over the phone or the nurse practitioner or, or any of the screening people will be able to help you figure out whether you need to be seen um, or more likely whether we could do a virtual appointment. Just because you're sick and just because we don't want to spread the infection doesn't mean you don't get to see a doctor. We have substantially increased our capabilities with virtual, um, uh, uh, virtual appointments. And a lot of times all you need and all we need is to basically see you and talk to you and figure out what the problems are. If you are having problems breathing, if you are, have, if you are struggling um, to, to, get, to get your breathing, to, to catch your breath, um, or you're having heart palpitations, things like that, then you, don't, you, know, you, you need to get to the emergency department or you need to call um, for emergency services because you know, those, some things just can't wait. Uh, and while we are all talking about coronavirus, 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 there's all the other normal things that are happening all every day and that you know normal people get sick uh, through without even a coronavirus being involved and they if they need to be seen then they will be seen. So in your mind as kind of an expert in this field of infectious disease what are some of the big unanswered questions about the coronavirus that um, would really help you all get a better grasp on this? You know I think the you know there, there's a lot of things that we still don't know about this coronavirus and one of the the biggest questions at least in especially in my mind is why are uh, the younger age groups so spared not only from bad disease but also from even getting infected to begin with um, and there's a lot of uh, thoughts on that whether it has to do with um, pre-existing immunity because they had you know because kids get so many more viruses than adults uh, or is it because of their response to this infection is different than the adult response or are their receptors some are the receptors in children somehow different in the receptors of adults you're going to see a lot of uh, of movement on those types of questions because that may give us a clue as to how to prevent this stuff going forward as well as uh, what to target when we're talking about vaccines when we're talking about antiviral medications um, that's going to be one uh, big uh, uh, thing that we're going to see the, the second thing is also about the transmission. We said, you know, we, we, we believe that this is mostly through cough. What is the component of people who are asymptomatic, as you brought up uh, so good? Can they spread? Um, and if so, how often? That's going to be something that's probably going to be uh, very, very, uh, we're going to probably find that out fairly quickly over the next few weeks. Um, certainly anybody who is infected, whether they have symptoms or not, needs to stay home. All right, anybody who is infected, whether they're coughing or whether they don't have any symptoms, needs to prevent uh, and, and isolate, and we call it, I'm sorry, it's not isolation, we call it, uh, no, it is isolation. Isolation, if you have infection, you have to stay home. If you think you have the infection or you were exposed, we call that quarantine. Um, and so they're, they're, they're basically though, they're basically the same thing. You stay away from people uh, uh, for a little while. The um, other things that we're gonna find out is, right now is about medication. We're learning a lot about uh, treatment. You're gonna see more treatments before you see the vaccines. And the vaccines are in the future, but they take a lot of time because we're building a vaccine from the ground up. With a lot of the medications that we're testing right now are actually medications that we had even before this outbreak happened because we saw SARS, we saw MERS, and we said, hey, we need something just in case another bad coronavirus happens. And that's why we have some of these medications ready to go. And they were the first to be used in China as well as here in the United States. We should expect some information as to whether or not these uh, uh, medications are working in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. So do you have any indication of if or when we can expect things to start getting better? Uh, no. 
but it, it will. <laughs> you know, it, it really depends. And it's not so much um, will it get better. It is when it will get better. Uh, and it's not just here in, you know, Cleveland. All right. Every different city, every different state is its own little mini area of infection. And that some places are very, very active right now. New York, Seattle, California. Some places are not very active right now, the entire Midwest. All right. Uh, and, and Ohio has been doing uh, a, a really, really good job to this point as well. Um, and s different places have instituted uh, uh, different countermeasures the social distancing, the closing of schools, things like that at different times. And so that may affect where the peaks happen. But every place is going to have its own little mini peak. And just because, let's say, Ohio is doing fine right now, if you know other places around the United States get really, really bad, it may spill over to where we are. And so we always have to be diligent uh, that we have to watch the whole country as a whole, as a whole and the world as a whole to see when this virus is going to go away. Um, but it is, you know, if you think about what happened in China, and I'm using this just as an example, I can't say, if it started in December and they're only now not seeing new new cases, at least they're not reporting any new cases, uh, you're, you're probably talking several months. Okay. And as we wrap up here, is there anything we haven't covered yet that you really would like to leave our viewers with? You know, I think the biggest uh, thing that we haven't covered, there's a couple, you know, the main thing, though, is that the virus is still very important for us to tell you that the virus does not cause very severe symptoms in the majority of people. Because one of the issues about this virus, and I think it's you know, coming from all the social distancing and all the interruptions in our lives, all the, the schools being down, all the restaurants being closed, all, you know, the, there's nothing on sports. I don't know how ESPN is doing anything right now. Uh, is, is that this is a big disruption in our lives, but and it has led to a huge amount of anxiety. There is a, it's palpable, all right, how uh, skittish and how uh, anxious we are about this virus and about what the future holds. Um, it is still very important to know that the virus by itself for each and every person is still very mild in the majority of individuals and that we need to make sure that if you are someone who is over the age of 65 and if you are someone who is um, at risk, if you have high blood pressure, if you have heart problems, lung problems, diabetes, those things, they need to be extra, extra cautious. But everybody, we are in this boat together, everybody needs to be cautious. There is nobody who is safe from this virus, and no one should think that they are safe just because they're young or just because they're healthy. You know, even if you don't get sick, you might pass it on to someone who does and not even know it or just have such mild symptoms and that you were able to, to keep working or keep playing. Um, don't do that, all right? Listen to uh, the medical directors, listen to the Ohio Department of Health and all the state health departments, listening to the CDC and the WHO. Get your good information from those sites. Don't, you know, the Internet's full of a lot of things that can somehow send you astray. So make sure you're getting good information and the, the website on the Ohio coronavirus site, as well as for the Centers for Disease Control, is really, really good. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here and taking all those questions. And thank you to everyone for watching. Um, for the latest updates from the Cleveland Clinic related to COVID-19, visit clevelandclinic.org coronavirus. Thanks and take care. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.